You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Hey, get your Bibles out this morning. Let's turn them to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're jumping into a new series for this fall, and it's entitled Vertically Challenged, Vertically Challenged, as we think about getting our focus in the right direction. And today we want to talk about being vertically challenged on purpose. But before we do that, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you as a church for your prayers for Nathaniel Pablo and Dave Locke and I as we were in the Philippines. We got out of the Philippines a day early because of the storm that was coming. And we went up, we were going through Shanghai on the way home. Um, as it turns out, the storm didn't really hit Manila that much, but that was of God's uh, leading in our lives because the flight the next day was an hour and a half late. We would have missed our connection and wouldn't have been home yet. And uh, so, although I'm not sure what day it is, I do know where I am and uh, looking forward to opening God's word and uh, sharing with you. But thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, God at work, we met some great people in the Philippines who love to lift up the, the name of Jesus as they sing, um, who love Jesus Christ just like we do, had the privilege to preach in two churches while I was there. And in those service, people trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was an amazing uh, to watch God do that work. And, and then we had the privilege to do a presentation for the Great Commission Collective. And um, over 40 pastors came in for that. And that was just a great time as well. We'll give you more report about all of that. All of that to say, uh, God is good. And now we'll kind of figure out where do we go from here. But we met some great new friends while we were there. And so thankful for that. I'm wearing my a Filipino shirt today. It has a funny name, but I can't say it, so I'm not even going to try. And uh, But uh, we just are so thankful to the Lord for all that he did and thankful for your prayers. And so, thank you. All right. Well, we want to get into our text and into the message of today. Uh, today's message is entitled, On Purpose. On Purpose. You know, I think, what is the purpose of the church? I think people from the outside or maybe people who are on the inside who maybe are a little frustrated about church, they think, well, church is all about attendance. If we can just get the numbers up, if it keeps growing, that's what the church is about. Uh, some people say, well, you know, the church only wants your money. It's all about money. And as long as people keep giving and all the bills get paid, that's what the church is about. Uh, some people would be a little more spiritual than those things. They would say, no, the church is about discipleship. How do we build people up in their faith? Get a focus on discipleship, everything will be fine. Others would say, no, 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 the purpose of the church is to prepare people to do evangelism. So they would go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ and their, their need of a Savior. And although all of those things are good, Others would say, well, you know, no, the church is about having baptism. People who are saved, uh, they get right with the Lord, and, and then they get in the tank, and they get baptized so they can identify with Christ. And the church is about baptism, or the church is about ministries for my family so that we all have things that are going on, and we got my kids are taken care of, and good teaching is going on. And, you know, although many of those things, really all of those things are right in some way, they're not why we're here. They're not our purpose. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. The purpose of the church is not those things. When you make those things the church, uh, make the purpose, you take God out of the place that he belongs and they become the throne. And so the purpose of the church is God's glory. Well, what about your life? What about you as a person? What's your purpose? What's your purpose? 
I think in my own life, and sometimes I get derailed on these things, and I get my eyes focused on other things, and I think my purpose is to have a good job so that I can uh, make sure I provide for my family. And maybe you're caught up in that, and your purpose driven is to move up the ladder in your workforce because that's what you're about. Some people think their purpose, men, they think their purpose is to take care of their wife. Happy wife, happy Right, see, man, you all got that figured out by now. And uh, you think, well, that's my purpose in my life or, or to raise my kids in a way that honors the Lord. And if we just get that right, then my purpose will be right. Or maybe, maybe it's to build relationships with my neighbor so that I can tell them about Jesus Christ. And that sounds so good and it's not wrong to do that, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose as a person is to bring glory to God. And when we get that right, when we get it right, that every day, a little bit more, growing up in Jesus Christ, I want to be about the glory of God, then the rest of those things will all fall into place. And they'll end up in a good place, and the focus won't be on me or us and what we accomplish. It'll always be turned back to looking at God and how awesome he is and how he works in our lives for his glory. I want to take a look at this topic through the lens of Ephesians chapter 3 today. So let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given, to me, given me by the working of his power. To me, through whom I am a very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the privilege to come and open your word. Thank you for the um, awesome truth that you have given to us and Lord, as we look at this passage today, as we look at Paul and how he encouraged the Ephesian church and what he was teaching them, Lord, would you, Lord, help us to understand that message wasn't just for them, that message was for us. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear your word today. Minds, God, to be able to comprehend. But then, Lord, the faith, 
the faith to live out with passion in our lives for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for the glory of the one who saved us, God, and for the working you did and the power of your spirit in us, God. We have so much and we so often get our focus in the wrong place. Teach us, Lord, how to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, on you, our wondrous Savior, our wondrous God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, today I want to pull out of this text a seven truths, seven truths that keep us focused on our purpose. Seven truths that will keep us focused on bringing glory to God in our lives. But we first need to understand kind of the lens of uh, how we're going to see that because um, that's the purpose of our church. Um, if you got your notes out, there's a lot of blanks on the first half of that first page. We'll be through those and done that part in just a moment. But it's important that we lay that foundation about this purpose. The purpose of our church, the purpose of Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, is to glorify God. To glorify God. It could really end there. Through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the great commandment. The purpose is to glorify God. How do we do that? Through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. In the text I just read, it said, to him be glory in the church. Glory in the church. A church should be, the purpose of the church is that God would, that God would be glorified. You've heard me say it here many, many times. What is there? The only way we can explain it is God's doing it. That's God's glory at work. Now, those people who got saved while we were away, that was God's glory at work. The life change that's happening in your life as you are becoming more like Jesus Christ, that's the glory of God at work. That's the purpose of our church. What's the purpose of our life? The purpose of our life, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says man's chief, man's chief end is to glorify God. That's it. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. My job, for the glory of God. My family, for the glory of God. My, my, my friendships, for the glory of God. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean to glorify God? What well, means to extol him or to lift him up? Uh, to take a focus onto his attributes in your life. To be thinking of God. We've been singing songs that really set the table for this message. And that, that video that we just watched was really to get us focused on how awesome God is. How amazing God is. And a great way to do that in your life is to, to lift him up as you consider his, his attributes, his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercy and his grace and his love. God's majesty. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. God's sovereignty. He is king over all. His power. His omniscience. Just to name a few. We need to rehearse those in our lives. We need to remember those things so we don't get our eyes focused on the wrong things. But get our eyes focused on the right thing. And then live those other things out for the glory, for the glory of God. And so today I want to give you these seven, these seven uh, truths, these um, seven things that will help you stay focused on your purpose, which is to glorify God. So here's the first one. To live on purpose, understand the value 
of the gift. Understand the value of the gift. Look at verse 7. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul calls himself a minister. It means a person who's been given a particular area of responsibility. But that word servant means to be a table waiter. Paul calls himself a servant. Now, this was the one who had all kinds of prestige, all kinds of honor, uh, was a leader in his community in his day. And then the Lord Jesus Christ took hold of his life. And now he says, I'm a minister. I'm a servant. I'm a table waiter for the church, for my God, for his glory. But he frames it in the context of, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He understood what God had done for him. He understood his salvation. He understood how awesome that work was. How much time do you spend reflecting on the work of God in your salvation? We talk about living out of the gospel every day of your life. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, stop and remember the work of God and his grace and his salvation for you. The gift of God's grace. If I'm going to live for the glory of God, I need to understand this amazing, this amazing gift. Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. And the light shone and he was amazingly converted. And he, as we would say, he transferred his trust from all those things he used to believe in, all those things that he thought were righteous, all those things he thought would get him to God, and he put his trust in Jesus Christ alone. And, and he realized all of that was in vain. All of that had accomplished nothing for eternity. And then he gets his eyes fixed on Christ, and his life has changed, and he comes back, and he goes, this gift is amazing. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. The chapter before in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Earlier in that chapter, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and Christ has made you alive. He has set the table for this with these people in the chapter before. And now he goes back and he reminds them of the gift of God's grace. You'll never get your purpose right in life if you don't, first of all, have the gift of God's grace. And so the question this morning is, what are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? Are you hoping in yourself? Are you hoping in your things? Are you hoping in your accomplishments? Or is your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Realizing you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, you are on the road to hell. And God came, and God worked, and God did an amazing thing so that you could have eternal life through faith alone, in Christ alone. Have you trusted Jesus Christ today? If you haven't, you can. It's not about works. It's not about what you. It's all about what God did. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. If you've never trusted Christ, you can trust Christ today. And if you have, then that's the foundation for how awesome God is. And we look at our purpose in life now is to bring him glory. It's not to bring me glory. It's not to bring this church glory. It's to bring glory to God and get our focus on him. To live on purpose, I understand the value of the gift. Here's the second thing. To live on purpose, I understand, we understand, I understand our position. 
that we are in Christ. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, two words that I really picked out of this. He's talking about the, the uh, opportunity that he has to preach the gospel, which is the unsearchable. You, you could keep going forever and ever and never completely fathom all that God did in saving you, right? Um, I, I took two words out of it in my mind as I, I wrestled through this verse, and there was the word humility and the word responsibility. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, that's a picture of humility, understanding he didn't, under, didn't deserve what he got was from God's grace and God's mercy. It was a gift from God. Um, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. When you serve the Lord, do you serve the Lord in the back of your mind? It's like, I hope somebody notices. I hope somebody says something to me. You know, when the devil wants to get at me, he does that in my life. Paul, you just preached your heart out. Nobody even said they appreciated it. Oh, who's it about anyways, right? Humility. It's not, it's not about what people say. It's about who we do this for. And we bring glory to God. And so he's understanding this when he says, though I'm the very least of all the saints, there's a picture of humility. But then he talks about the responsibility, um, the grace that was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I often think about why God chose to use us as the ambassadors, as why God chose to use us as the way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I get to heaven, I'm sure I'll more fully understand that. But all I know is this is the way he's done it. And God chooses to use us to be the ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, we don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. God does that work, but he does it through us. And that should humble us and help us to understand the, the weight and the responsibility that we have. And we want to bring glory to God. You bring glory to God when you humble yourself and come with the responsibility now of the message you've been given to take. It's an amazing work of God that he would see fit to use you or use me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that people would be, that people would be saved. Understand the value of the gift. Understand our position and humility and a responsibility to present the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's the third one. Understand the importance of this message. We want to bring glory to God by understanding the importance of the message. It says in verse 9, nine and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Understand the importance. This message, this gospel, this good news, um, all throughout the Old Testament, right from creation and the fall of man, uh, the, the Bible pointing towards uh, what God would do, pointing towards Jesus Christ and a mystery, a mystery. And the mystery then is fulfilled in the work of Christ. He comes, he dies, he's buried, he's risen again, he's ascended to be with the Father in heaven. So what? So you could have eternal life, so you could have the good news. Understand the importance of the message. Why is that so important, Pastor? Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. This is not one of 25 different ways to get to God. This message that we have is the message for the world. 
It's not try everything else out and see if it works out for you. You'll get to God if you love your brother, if you work hard, if you're a good person, if you follow this path. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And that's the importance of this message. And when you understand the importance, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Then you understand that why we want to put God's glory on display best we can in our lives. Because this message we have is the hope for our world. Just it was the hope for your life. It's the hope for our world. Not only uh, is it known in the world, but look down in verse 10. This, this way reaches right up to heaven so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And the work that we do affects the people in our world, but the angels who are in heaven watch and see and rejoice in the, the working of God. This message that we have, this good news that Paul is talking about, this hope that we have in Christ, it's an important, an important message. Number four, to live on purpose, I have to understand the big picture. I have to understand the big picture. Look at verses 11 and 12. This all of this work that he's just talked about was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You know, sometimes I get kind of down into the weeds and I lose sight of the bigger picture. And it's good for us to go back and look and see the bigger picture. This was according to the eternal purposes that he realized in Christ Jesus. You know, if you work in Awana, you work with those little rugrats every week and they come in and the first one they come, Sue gets the, the littlest kids and they come in and they cry for the first three weeks while they're there. And, and then it's like, well, come on, like, just get over it. We're just here to talk about Jesus, like for Pete's sake. So that's why I'm not serving in Awana right there. I'd be like, right. Um, if you lose sight of the eternal purpose, you'll give up on those kids. Not on them in a salvation way. I'm just saying, you're just like, I don't really need this grief. Um, if you're working in youth ministry and you watch the students struggling with the things they're struggling with, if, if you get your eyes off of the eternal purpose, then you'll get frustrated and you'll get discouraged. When you're a small group leader and you've got people in your small group and their, their marriage maybe isn't right or they're choosing some things and you go, why can't you get it right? If you get your eyes off of the eternal purpose and get your eyes down in the weeds, you, you lose hope. And Paul says, get your eyes fixed on the eternal purpose. Get your eyes fixed on what God is doing here. And we don't give up and we don't quit. Because why? Because we're about God's glory. We'll let him settle out the pieces, but I'm going to be a person of God who's about the glory of God. It says in the verse, it says, through him, I love this, this eternal purpose in whom we have boldness, in this purpose and access with confidence uh, through our faith in him. Uh, three words there. We have boldness and we have access with confidence. We need to be bold followers of Jesus Christ. We talk in our pillar, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Why? Because it is the message for the world. But I love the idea in this verse is talking about boldness you know, access and confidence. And I'm thinking about this in a way that we come to God. Isn't it great? Isn't it amazing that you can come to God with a sense of boldness? God wants you to come to him. 
And when you're struggling, he wants you to come to him. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Holy, holy is the Lord. We don't come with arrogance. We don't come with pride. But we come with a boldness. Why? Because Christ has made the way possible for us. That we can come to God. And we can bring everything to him. When we're rejoicing, we come to God with boldness. When we're wrestling with something, we come to God with boldness. When we're hurting, mad, don't understand, ticked off at God, we can still come to him with boldness. You say, really? God wants you to come when you're like ticked off at him? I'm not coming to God when I'm ticked off at him. Well, see, you're just a little smarter than a rock then. You think God doesn't already know what's going on in your heart? And you got all these things stored up. I could never tell God that. I could never admit that to the Lord. Really? He knows your thoughts before you even think them. It's amazing that when I'm frustrated or when I'm hurt and when life's not going my way and I'm wondering why God is allowing all of these things, I can still cry out to the Lord and I can come with boldness. I come with boldness because I have access through Jesus Christ. And the last word is that I, I come with a, a confidence God loves it when we come. He wants to hear from his children. And I don't come in my confidence. I come in the confidence of the work of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so as Paul is talking to them about understanding the big picture, this is for God's glory in the eternal purpose that through faith we can come to him. Let's get our eyes fixed on God and his glory, understanding the big picture. Here's number five. And then he turns it for them to understand a little bit about themselves. We understand the struggle to remain faithful. Understand the struggle to remain faithful. Look what he says here. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Um, Nowhere in the scripture are we ever promised that this life will be easy. As a matter of fact, we're guaranteed it will be difficult. The world is going to hate us. They don't love the message of the gospel. And everything in our world turns against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's the world that we live in. But when we get our eyes fixed on the glory, we remain faithful even in the midst of all of the struggle. Now Paul struggled. Most of his life after he trusted Jesus Christ was spent in prison. And yet his focus was so on what God was doing and want God's glory to be lifted up. He says, which is for your glory. So as Paul's writing the book of Ephesians, he's in prison in Rome. His circumstances are not good. But while he was there, he wrote the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon. All that part of the Bible comes out of this time when he is struggling and he is wrestling and parts of the Bible that God has used to transform your life for your glory, for your glory. Paul understood he understood the, the weight that he had. He understood this need to remain faithful. And he wants them in their struggle to remain faithful as well. It's lean in time when it's hard, not lean out time when it's difficult. And when we lean in, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We are people of God who are focused on the glory of God. Well, how is that even possible? 
Well, to live on purpose, I have to understand, you have to understand who is our source? Who really is our source? And verses 14 to 19 are amazing verses that really help us to understand this is really kind of Paul's prayer now for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Understand who is our strength, who is our confidence, who is our salvation, who is our sanctification. Now, so let's just break the prayer down a little bit. He says, for this reason. Well, what reason? Well, the things we've just been learning about, about God's grace and his mercy. And he says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. To who? To the God who is the source of all of this and who deserves all of this glory. I, I bow my knees. And we were in our room in the Philippines before uh, the Sunday um, to go out preaching and all the rest started meeting with people and all the rest. And uh, uh, Nathaniel and Dave and I were in a motel room and um, I found myself on my knees beside my bed praying, asking God to work while we were away, asking him to reveal to us what we needed revealed to us, asking him to show us what we needed shown. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every, every knee is going to bow, but we need to bow our knees. And he says, I bow my, my knees. Do you ever get down on your knees when you pray? It's a picture of humility. It's a picture of coming under. It's a picture of understanding who God is and where he is. I, I bow my knees. You say, well, pastor, you don't have to bow your knee." Well, no, there's actually lots of scripture where people stood when they prayed or they did all kinds of positions when they prayed. I, I do know this, Solomon and Ezra and the psalmist David and others and Daniel and the people who came to Jesus and Stephen and Peter and Paul and the early Christians and, well, wait a minute, and Jesus all prayed on their knees. Literally, they got on their knees. But I know you can be on your knees physically and standing disgruntled in your heart. So it's more than just a physical position. But I think it's important that we consider getting on our knees sometimes when we pray so that we understand who we're praying to and remember the glory of God. I bow my knee, he says. Before the Father. When I get on my knees before I preach every week, it's not to bow my knees before you. It's a model. It's an example. There's a lot of teaching that can come from, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to bow my knee to surrender myself before the Father. Before the Father. And that's what he is doing here. I under, we have to understand our source is God in heaven from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That's who we bow the knee to that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I don't do this on my own. We don't live our lives on our own. God's spirit is given to us to be our helper, to be our strength. He is the source. He's provided for us. 
in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul asked that Jesus would live in these believers even as Jesus promised in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him, will dwell, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's a, a picture of a permanent home in the Greek, that God would dwell in us, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. The focus of what Christ has accomplished in his love for us would be the thing that roots us you know, we've been watching the storms, the pictures of the storm, not only in the Philippines, but down in the Carolinas. And you see the trees blowing over and the trees that aren't well-rooted can't withstand the storm. It talks about how we are rooted and grounded. So the rooted part is a picture of a plant. The grounded part is a picture of a foundation of a building that's solid and it's set in God who is our source that we may have strength to comprehend with all of, the, all of the saints, listen, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. To many people, the love of Jesus is not a substantial thing at all. But this description helps us understand how substantial the love of Christ is. The love of Jesus has breadth. God's love is wide enough to include every person. The love of Jesus has length. The love, the God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. The love of Jesus has depth. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And the love of Jesus has height. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. And then he goes on, he says, to know the love of Christ. And Paul wrote something that we can know. This is not something that's a theory out there for us, but this is for us that we can know and we can have and we have it through faith and then living out for the glory of our God. Well, one more thing. To live on purpose, we have to understand who is our resource. This is really about the resource that we get from the source in God. This is the statement of exaltation. It's interesting that this um, doxology, that we would call it, comes halfway through the book. You know, in Jude, it comes right at the very end of the book. In, in the book of Ephesians, it's kind of like, okay, I'm coming to close, but then he doesn't close. He goes on for chapters four, five, and six in the book, right? Well, there's a reason for that. Paul, often when he writes, he starts his writing by talking about how awesome God is and his work and what God has done for us. And then he moves on to, okay, now, now how, here's how you live your life out. And that's really what happens in this book. The first half of the book is getting us focused on who God is and what he's done and our salvation and our inheritance and, and now on, on the glory of God. And then he's going to take the rest of the book. Now, now, here's how you live. We live these things because of what God has done. And so here's the resource that we have, verse Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's look at the who, what, how, why of this verse. Who. And now to him. Now to him. The idea of this word now is not, you know, we're kind of working through our agenda and this is the next thing. And we've come to the next thing on the agenda. It's not like that. 
The antithesis that this, this has been saving it, and that's for now. So now, let's get on this. Now. Are you focused on the glory of God in your life? If you're not, now is the time. Now, to him, to him. Uh, John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now to him. And so in your life, the him is not your boss. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your girlfriend. It's not your spouse. It's, I checked it out. The him is not you, and the him is not any. The him is God at work in us. Now to him. He's getting this drilled in for them, for them to understand. Let's get our focus in the right place. Let's get our eyes on the right thing. Now to him. That's the who. To Jesus Christ. The what. Who is able to do. You get your right eyes on the right person because the right person is able to do what you need. The Bible talks about lots of things that, that God is able to do and Christ is able to do for us. In Hebrews 7.25, he's able to save to the uttermost. In Hebrews 2, 18, he's able to help them who are tempted. In Philippians 3, 21, he's able to subdue all things unto himself. In Daniel 3, 16 and 17, the guys in the fiery furnace, he's able to deliver from the fires of life. In Acts 20, 32, he's able to build us up. In uh, Matthew 9, 28, he's able to heal and set us free. In Jude 24, he's able to keep us from falling. And in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Beyond measure, that's what God is able to do. Get your eyes on the glory of God because he's able to do way more. Exceeding abundantly. He has absolute power. It's all in his control. He's able to do exceeding abundantly. Beyond our wildest dreams, says beyond what we ask or even beyond what we could think. God is able to do if you would ask. And he's able to do more beyond that we could ever think or dream of. I remember the story of our elders and as the church was growing and I remember us praying when there were a hundred of us, would you give us 200? And then would you give us 400? And then would you give us 600? And not even always understanding what that meant, right? Because more means more messed up people. And you definitely fit that bill. But God gave us more. Would you give us 800? Would you allow us to plant a church? Would you allow us to plant another church? Would you allow us to have an influence around the world? Would you allow us to have a thousand people? When we started, we didn't pray for a thousand. We didn't have near that kind of faith. But we prayed for more. And God is able to do beyond what you can ask or even what you could think. You know, when I went to the Philippines this uh, past week, I wasn't thinking about people being saved when I preached. Our goal was to go and try and understand what was going on, would the Lord open a door for, for um, uh, us there, and what does that all look like? That was kind of, we were kind of on this mission to see. And then God stepped in and he did beyond what I was even thinking about. 
And people got saved. See, he's able. Beyond what you ask, or even beyond what you even, what you think about. How? Well, through his power, he's able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power, his power, the power of the Spirit, at work. At work. Anything that can be done, God can do. God working in us. Doxology, this kind of praise, always leads to duty. Always. You can't, you can't take the first part of this verse, and now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think without coming to the place of understanding there's something I do. How? Through the power that's at work within us, doxology always leads to duty. You always are changed when you get your eyes fixed and focused on the glory of the God who saved you. God, the glory of the creator. God, the holy one. When you get your eyes fixed up here, duty becomes your next thing. It's like, Lord, what can I do? How can I respond? How do I now live out for the glory of God? Doxology always leads to duty. Here's the why. Take a look at the verse again. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Here it is. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. The only way we can explain it is God is doing. God at work right here, right now. Psalm 115.1 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness for the glory. So warning, warning, warning. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So God help us to get our eyes fixed on getting the glory to God and never stealing it back, never stealing it back. We pray this a lot at the elders' table before we come in here for the services, Lord, that, that you would be glorified. We would make sure we give you the praise for what's being accomplished in the church because the glory belongs to God. The glory doesn't belong to me or the elders or this church. It belongs to the God who saved us. God, help us more and more and more in our lives to get our eyes fixed, vertically fixed on purpose to the glory of our God. Remember, we're a church. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is not church growth. Our purpose is not more discipleship. Our purpose is not more evangelism. Our purpose is not more baptisms. Our purpose is not more conviction and repentance. Our purpose is not more working with the needy. Our purpose is not more butts in the seats. Our purpose is not a bigger church or more churches. Our purpose is the glory of God. And when we get that right, the other things will become right in our lives. And it's true in our church, and it's true for you. Well, so what? So what? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I said it this way last night. I said, um, so what's the nugget for you today? 
seven things you've heard. All seven won't have the same weight in your life. But what's the thing you've heard today and you go, yeah, that's not right with me. Maybe, maybe you've just heard a message and you're like, I don't know this Lord that you're talking about and I want to trust Jesus Christ. I want to put my faith in him. Well, that would bring glory to God for sure. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Uh, maybe you're here today and you go, yeah, you know, I, I talk a good story, but I'm, when it comes right down to it, I'm really about my job. I'm really about my work. I'm really about getting more stuff. Or I'm really about my family. Or I'm really about my... And, and Pastor, you've helped me to understand that I need to get my focus on the glory of God. What's the nugget for you today? That's what I want you to hear. That's what I want you to respond with. What would God do in your life today to get your focus off of all of these other things and get your eyes lifted up and get our focus on the God who loved us, who saved us, who strengthens us, who's preparing a place for us, and live out of that to do these other things for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Vertically challenged, living on purpose to glorify God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this example from Paul. I, I think about him and I think about how easy it would have been for him to be discouraged. He's sitting in a prison as he's telling the people all this awesome work that you're doing. And Lord, I get so frustrated when my day just doesn't go right. Teach me, Lord, how to get my eyes fixed on the glory of you, on what you've done, what you've accomplished, to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, the one who saved me. God, teach me. Teach me more. Teach us as your church more to bring you glory. All we do, all we say. For the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.